We're looking this week at Haggai chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 10 through 19. And, and Haggai is writing to a people who were sent away, exiled by God, but by God's promise have been brought back into the land. They've been working at the beginnings of rebuilding the temple so that they could bring sacrifice. And yet God exposes their sin. That even the sacrifices they bring are tainted by their own sinfulness, their own ugliness. And yet, as I read, I, I want you to listen. Listen for the glimmer of hope, the word of gospel promise, the good news that Haggai announces to us. I'm going to read Haggai chapter 2, verses 10 through 19. Haggai chapter 2, verse 10. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priests what the law says. If a person carries consecrated meat in the fold of his garment, and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, oil, or other food, does it become consecrated? The priest answered, no. Then Haggai said, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priest replied, it becomes defiled. Then Haggai said, so it is with this people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer there is defiled. Now give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. From this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. From this day on, I will bless you. Let me pray that God would apply his good news to our lives. Father in heaven, we admit we struggle to pay attention to your word. Because of the busyness and distractions of life, we find it hard to turn our attention and listen clearly. Lord, because of the own indifference in our hearts, we, we don't want to hear what you have to say. And so, Lord, I pray that your word would confront our sin and that in your gospel we would find true and lasting hope. Father in heaven, you are the God who rescues, the God who saves. And so I pray that those who listen today without a knowledge of Jesus as Savior would find hope in him today that today would be a day of salvation. Lord, for those of us who have put our trust in Jesus, let us live with gospel boldness, obeying you out of gratitude, announcing your good news to those we meet. Lord, we want our hearts to be changed, and we need you to do that work. As we come attentive to your word, asking your spirit to guide and instruct us. Father in heaven, we come in the name of our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. There's that moment of panic when a parent realizes that his or her children have been too quiet. When you go around the corner into the other room and you realize, what in the world is going on here? It looks like a crime scene. 
It, it, it's a complete disaster. Not just toys strewn around the room, but, but somehow they've gotten into the paint in the, in the craft closet, and it's spread everywhere, all over their clothing, onto the furniture, or, or maybe it's, it's food. It's, they've, they've taken, they've taken some, some yogurt, and they, they seem to have, have spread it on everything. I mean, it's in the fibers of the carpet. It's, it's splattered on the wall. Somehow it is on the ceiling. Or, or maybe it's mom's lipstick. And they've now decorated your entire house. So that, that it's filled with cave art in the scribbled drawings of a, of a little one. And, and you rush in, and in that moment of panic, you think, don't touch anything. Because you realize even just to move the child is going to make the mess worse. And so mom or dad scoops the child up to, to get them out of the room and, and wonders, how in the world am I going to clean up this kind of mess? The prophet Haggai steps before the people and says, like a child, you have made a mess that cannot be cleaned up. Every effort you, you take to try and make things right only spreads the mess further. And yet, even in the condemnation that Haggai brings, he offers a word of hope to a people in the mess of their sin. He shows them the spread of their sin and the judgment of God against their sin, but then he offers them the promise of blessing. First, look with me at the spread of sin here in Haggai chapter 2. We're told again that this happens on a specific date, the 24th day of the ninth month, but look with me at verse 11. Haggai is sent by the Lord to, to go ask the priests a question. God is going to give an example from their religious life. Now, actually, the questions are straightforward enough. Maybe you and I might need help answering them, but, but to any observant Jew in the 6th century before Christ, at the time of Haggai, they would know the answers to these questions already. Because they are people who have to go through elaborate rituals, elaborate systems of, of washings and cleansings in order to even bring sacrifice into the temple of God. And so Haggai is trying to help them figure out how bad is the mess that they've made. Is it possible for them to clean themselves up? And so in verse 12, the question is asked of the priests. Ask them what the law says. If a person carries consecrated meat in the fold of his garment, and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, oil, or other food, does it become consecrated? It's, it's a picture that, that might be foreign to us because you haven't had to bring consecrated meat into church, well, ever. You haven't had to bring a, a sacrifice and, and slaughter an animal. But there were certain sacrifices that, that after the sacrifice was made, a portion of the meat could be taken home to be consumed by the family. So it, through sacrifice, has been made pure, has been consecrated, has been set apart for God's use. Now, does that, when wrapped up in the fold of a garment, they don't have a a purse or a shopping bag to carry it, but wrapped in the fold of a garment, when that bumps into something else, does holiness spread? I mean, that's the question. How easy is it to spread God's perfect goodness? Well, the question is obvious. Anyone could have answered. You didn't really even need a priest to do this work. Does the food which is touched by the consecrated meat become consecrated? The answer is no. And so now the example is flipped in verse 13 to something tragic and horrific. The 
body of death, the dead body. And it's something which is foreign to us in our culture because we have experts who deal with those kinds of things. And maybe that's your line of work where you deal with, in healthcare or, or you're dealing in those. But for many of us, we're, we're, all, we're never close enough to even wonder about this. But to touch a dead body in ancient Israel meant you could not go to the temple. There was a long and elaborate way in which you had to be made right before God. And so if the dead body touches something, does that also become defiled? I mean, the question is, the, the first question was, how easy is it to spread holiness? It doesn't spread easily. But how easy is it to continue to spread the mess of sin? Well, yes, the priest answered, anything touched by the dead body becomes defiled. And then Haggai turns the example on to the people of God, people who think they're doing the right thing. After all, they're spending day and night rebuilding the very temple of God, the place where sacrifices are meant to be brought. The altar had already been built in the generation before, and so they're bringing sacrifices. They're doing everything right, they think. And so won't these sacrifices make the people holy? No, the problem is their sin is so deep that they have defiled even the sacrifices they bring. Look at the condemnation that, that God brings on the people through, through Haggai. Look at verse 14. So it is, they have become defiled. So it is with this people and with this nation in my sight. They are defiled so that whatever they do, whatever they offer there is defiled. See, the spread of sin is easy. Like the mess a child continues to make, even as they look to clean it up, they're just making things worse. And so the people who go through the ritual of sacrifice, if they do so for their own purposes, out of selfish hearts, can defile even the good gifts that God has given. Even the righteous works, the, the, the way that, that another prophet, the prophet Isaiah, speaks of it. He says that even our righteous works are like filthy rags. That it's, it's like we've gone through and we said, God, look, I've cleaned this all up. Look what a great job I've done. And then you take the filthy rag and you go to clean something else with it, just spreading the mess. In, in Isaiah 64, verse 6, we read, All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. See, the people cannot save themselves. Any religion that's based on our attempts to make ourselves right with God will fail because we're just going to keep making things worse. Even our efforts to do the right thing are tainted by our sin. Even the sacrifices we bring are defiled because they are brought with hands that are defiled, with hearts that are broken and sinful. And, and, and God is, is telling us that, that even the sacrifices were only meant to point us forward to, to one who is greater. We were meant not just merely to go through the ritual of showing up at church or, or tuning in at a certain time. We were actually expected to listen to the Word of God, to obey the Word of God, to have our hearts changed. So that the prophet Samuel, hundreds of years before, in the time of uh, King Saul, would tell the people, you, you think it's just by sacrifice that you'll be made right with God. You think if you just go through the motions that everything will be fine. But, but don't you understand that God wants your heart. He wants you to turn to him. And so, so the prophet Samuel will say in 1 Samuel 15, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? 
Samuel says it directly. To obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed is better than the fat of rams. See, God wants your heart. You cannot save yourself. And so the spread of sin, it shows us that the mess is everywhere. And then God is saying that the judgment he brings is a judgment against his people for their sins. Because look at how the passage continues. There's the warning that they need to listen. Verse 15, give careful thought. Listen to, to the circumstances. And then, he, and then he walks up, he says, think back to even before you started rebuilding this temple. Just look at the mess around you. He says, every time you tried to accomplish something, you failed. Look at verse 16. When you came to a heap of 20 measures, measures of grain or of, or of wheat, that you, you thought you would have 20, but when you actually went to check, there were only 10 left. Or you had 50 measures of, of wine, but then it's only 20. And look at verse 17, where God says directly that he is the one who brings judgment on his people because of their sin. Look at verse 17. I struck all of the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. God is bringing judgment against his people because of their sin. They are people that deserve punishment. They are working for themselves, and so God says, well, I'm going to turn everything you've worked for against you. And, and, and when God says, God says he did this, notice, though, that he did it not merely out of anger. Yes, it's a righteous anger against sin, but he did it, what? To turn his people. Look at the end of verse 17, which tells us the reason that God brought judgment against them. He says, I struck all of the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail. Look at the end of verse 17. Yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. When I took away everything that mattered most to you, so that you would be left with me, so that you would turn to me, you didn't do it. One commentator, he, he says, you could translate this, this verse, that I brought judgment, yet you did not want me. I gave you everything you needed. I gave myself for you. I am the God who has promised. We've heard it in Haggai already. I am with you, and yet you did not want me. See, in this condemnation of the sin of the people, not merely of their outward actions, but of their very heart, their attitudes, it's the kind of condemnation that, that rightly comes against us. We've chased after the things of this world to make us happy thinking that if I have enough stuff, if I can measure it, if I can, if I can gather it together, if I can keep myself secure, then that will make me happy. But God says, God says, no matter how many times you measure it, it won't be enough. And, and notice with me, though, that God brings judgment, even the terrible things of this world, in order to show forth his goodness. He brought judgment against the people so that they would turn to him. See, and this can be helpful to the people in the time of Haggai when, when everything around them seems broken, but it can also be helpful to us today. In the midst of a global pandemic, when everything seems uncertain, that God might be asking us to turn to him. A time of crisis should lead us to God. Now, that's an uncomfortable explanation for a season of suffering, that, that what God is saying is stop now and listen. Stop now and turn to me. And yet we don't ever want to listen. We are people who will push away the silence. 
the constant screech of the television as background noise. The allure of our phones always drawing our attention. The binge watching where the next episode just starts again. And by the time you realize what time it is, you, you know you're not going to get enough sleep before the next day begins. Even the endless parade of sports, or the fact that you haven't had an endless parade of sports, you just keep reading another article about the fact that there isn't sports in front of you. We're constantly trying to fill our lives with things that will keep us from stopping to listen. Now, now I, need to, I, I need you to understand this clearly. I am not saying that God brought a global pandemic just for you. But I am saying that you should take advantage of the fact that there is a global pandemic and stop and consider what God might want from you. The very fact that the world seems unsettled is the, is the exact moment when God lifts up your head to look to him. When everything else is taken from you, you're meant to, to turn to the one who is still there for you, the God who loves you. And, and notice, again, that this actually then does help us not understand exactly what's going on around us or, or why the suffering is taking place in the world around us, but it shows us that God can work even in the midst of suffering. That's what he was doing here in the lives of the people of Haggai, at the time of Haggai. And he sent Haggai to make it clear to them, this was brought so that you would turn to God, so that even times of intense suffering can have a deeper purpose, a redemptive purpose, a holy purpose, a purpose of salvation. And so let this moment be a moment of salvation for you, because God is saving his people. He is promising to bless his people. Because not only is the, the judgment meant to turn people to God, but then God, he, he, he's explicit. He says it directly to them. Unless they miss the hint in verse 17, he'll just point blank say it at the end of verse 19. He'll conclude this statement from the prophet with a promise of blessing. Look, look at the end of verse 19. Even though there is, there is no, no fruit on the vine, look at the end of verse 19. From this day on, I will bless you. You see, and that's exactly the message you and I need to hear. When we're caught in the mess of our sin, scrambling to try and clean it up, realizing we're only making things worse, we actually need that kind of answer. The, the toddler can't free himself of the mess, but needs mom or dad to swoop in and, and carry the kid, maybe, maybe right outside to the hose or, or right into the, the shower to get hosed down and cleaned up. We need someone to come and clean up the mess we've made. And don't you see that's what God is saying? He's even saying, let's draw a line in the sand right now. Let's mark history. You are a people who were exiled because of your sin, but I have brought you back. I, we've, we've heard it twice in the prophecies of Haggai. In chapter 1 and again in chapter 2 last week, God says, I will be with you. And now he's promising blessing. He says, from this day, right, mark it down. On this 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of King Darius, mark down this is a time of blessing. He's pointing the people forward to the salvation that will Come. God is the God who blesses his people. Everyone who turns to God will find blessing through the work of Jesus, our Savior. So that the language of blessing is throughout the scriptures. From the beginning, when God rescued his people, he calls Abram and he says to him, I will bless you and you will be a blessing. To whom? To every nation on this earth, God says, I am going to bless the nations. And when we get to the New Testament, we see the blessing of God through Jesus, the Savior. 
And so that, that the Apostle Paul, in writing to the church in Ephesus, this is Ephesians chapter 1 in your Bibles, he says in Ephesians 1 verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Everything you need is found in Jesus. The forgiveness of your sins, it's found in Jesus. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 1 verse 7, that it's in Jesus Christ that we have redemption through his blood. That you're bought out of slavery to sin and set free to live a life of obedience to God. And what did it cost? The death of your Savior. The blood of God's own Son. Because, yes, it's easy for, for sin to spread. That which is defiled can, can defile anything. We make a mess of it. We spread sin around easily. But, but is it easy to forgive? No, it's costly to forgive. And you, don't you see God is saying, but, but there is a way for you to be made holy. God sent his son to offer himself as a perfect sacrifice. Because the sacrifices that we bring, the sacrifices that the people in the time of Haggai brought were brought with, with hands that were defiled by sin, hearts turned against God, th that, that said, I want everything that you've made in this world, but I don't want you, God. And so God sent his own son to, with a perfect heart and with pure hands, offer a sacrifice, the sacrifice of his own life for you. And so this blessing is offered to you right now. As you listen to the word of God, the blessing comes to you. God is saying through his prophet, from this day on, I will bless you. He was looking forward, Haggai, to the, to the day of Jesus Christ. But you and I know that that day has come. God washed away our sins in the death of Jesus Christ. He declared Jesus to be the holy and righteous one, the one whose name is above every name we've sung this morning. Jesus declared to be the Lord Almighty through his resurrection from the dead, the one who now reigns as the king in heaven, is the one who offers a blessing to you. Jesus gives us his perfect holiness. So God is cleaning up the mess that we've made. God's grace, his undeserved favor, his intervention from the outside washes away our sins. We have this blessing right now, everything you need. Whatever pain and suffering you feel in life is meant to point you to your Savior, to push you in the direction of God's own love. We have this promise of blessing from this day on. God says, I will bless you. And so stop chasing the things in this world to satisfy your heart and find your salvation, your joy in Jesus who gave himself for you. The story is told of the newspaper magnate William Randolph Hearst. He spent a, a vast amount of his wealth on, on a collection of art from around the world. And the, the story is told that, that one day he, he saw a description of, of a piece of art that he knew that he had to have for his collection. And so he sent his agents out to, around the world to look for it. And months later, one of his agents came back and said, said I found it the piece you're looking for, the thing that you want. I found it in your warehouse. You already own it. You bought it decades ago. You just left it in the box. You've never taken it out of its crate. It's already yours. 
And don't you see what, what Haggai steps to his people and says, the blessing that you want is right here for you already. God has provided for you. Church, the blessing is yours. It's right here. God himself makes the promise. The blessing is found in Jesus Christ. And so stop searching. Rest in God's promise. He says to you, from this day on, I will bless you. Let me pray that God would apply this truth that we would genuinely believe and follow him. Lord, we have scrambled in life to try and make ourselves right. And so to hear the message of Haggai, we hesitate. Because maybe we think we can still accomplish this work on our own. And so, Father in heaven, I pray that you would, you would confront us with our sin. For those who have not put their trust in Christ, let today be the day of salvation. And Lord, for those of us that feel burdened by life, let us rejoice in the blessing that you give to us. We have everything we need in Jesus, our Savior. And so we come, praying in his name. Amen.